This is a Federal News Network podcast. It's time for Fed Talk, the live show for Feds in the Know. From federal agencies to Capitol Hill, the attorneys of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth bring in experts from across the federal community to bring you inside the issues. Fed Talk is meant to provide general information about legal issues. However, the views expressed in this program are not intended to provide legal counseling. Listeners are cautioned not to rely upon any statements made in resolving legal issues they may face, but instead to consult with their own attorney about specific situations. Attorneys are not engaged in providing legal services while appearing on the program and are not responsible in any manner for the consequences that may stem directly or indirectly from reliance on any statement made during this program. Good morning and welcome to Fed Talk. Today is Friday, August 19th, 2022, and I'm Natalia Castro from Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. This program is being recorded on Thursday, August 11th, 2022, at the Women in Federal Law Enforcement 22nd Annual Leadership Training Conference in Phoenix, Arizona. We have spent this week listening to some incredible speakers, inspiring and leading women in federal law enforcement, meeting new colleagues, and of course, honoring some exemplary women in federal law enforcement. During today's show, we are giving you a small glimpse into all the fun we had this week. Joining me from Whipple is Foundation President Kathy Sands and a new board member, Linda Williams. Linda is also a presenter at this year's training and will be telling us about the panel she moderated on Leading from the Top. Welcome to the program, Linda and Kathy. Thank you. Thank you. Also joining us is a motivational speaker, job coach, and Whipple presenter, Tanisha Sherry. Tanisha led a full-day event on resume writing and interviewing that we will get to learn more about. Tanisha, thank you for joining me. Finally, I have two of Whipple's exceptional award winners, U.S. Marshal Sonia Chavez and Homeland Security Investigations Special Agent in Charge, Angie Salazar. I'm so excited to discuss your award-winning work Welcome to Fed Talk, Sonia and Angie. Thank you. To kick off our first segment, we're going to learn a little bit more about Whipple and the conference itself. Kathy, for our listeners who may not have heard last year's show or just may not be aware or remember, can you tell us a little bit about who Whipple is? Well, Whipple is a nonprofit organization that is, uh, is an advocate for women in the federal law enforcement sector. And every year we have leadership training to assist women in their quest to rise up within their agencies. And for this year's conference, can you tell me a little bit about the theme? This year's theme was disciplined, determined, and destined for excellence. And tell me about like how you arrived on that theme. What was some of the logic there? Well, I wish I could take credit for it, but uh, my vice president, Jesse Lane, is a whiz at figuring out themes. Um, And uh, just the things that have been happening uh, in the profession, um, the politics that are running through the the world, uh, she determined that uh, no matter what, Women in law enforcement are disciplined, we are determined, and we will be destined for excellence. 
Oh my goodness, absolutely. Uh, Jesse was on our show last year. For those who, who may not know the name immediately, I highly recommend you listen to that show as well. She is brilliant, as you say. And one of the things I've always appreciated about Whiffle is that your themes are relevant, timely, and provide women in federal law enforcement the information they need to know about you know, uh, what their career path is going to look like up ahead. You this year had, had hundreds of women from across the federal government. Uh, can you tell me about some of the agencies that were represented either from attendees or, you know, during the incredible virtual career fair that you hosted um, or in-person career fair as well? Some, some of the agencies that joined us this year? Oh, good Lord. We had uh, HSI, CBP, um, DOD. The various IG offices, the Marshal Service, the Secret Service, ATF, DEA, did I say FBI? Um, uh, there, were, there were just so many. And even some of the, the tiniest uh, uh, agencies that you don't uh, recognize, recognize, like the national, national, the regulatory community for uh, nuclear waste and in, in groups like that, that people don't have no idea that they've got law enforcement um, uh, sections to it. And we, we had the intelligence community. We had universities that are affiliated with the government. It, it's, it was mind boggling this year. Yeah, I was, um, so Fed Talk, our sister newsletter, Fed Agent, hosts the virtual portion of the career fair. And I got to speak to some of these different federal agencies about their work. I did not even realize that EPA has an office of investigations where they have offices across the country doing land waste enforcement. And it was it was really incredible to hear about the work of some of these agencies that are a little bit more niche, um, but still have play a vital role in federal law enforcement and having them come to Whipple and, you know, a smaller agency that may not have access to the resources or the leadership training. They can come here and learn so much from their colleagues. You really just an incredible breadth of groups here. I even noticed some local law enforcement, some international law enforcement. Um, I was speaking with women from Mexico who were coming, and that's a few years running. You've had some international presence, correct? Yes, the the Mexico contingency uh, came again this year. They had uh, a, a very large contingency last year and loved it. And so they worked hard to return this year. We also had um, representatives from Kosovo, and the Ivory Coast, and I believe we were having, uh, at least one was scheduled from Kenya, but I'm not sure they made it. Um, and uh, a lot of this is from our, our relationships uh, internationally. Um, I, I don't do it all on my own. Uh, many of the agencies recommend I contact a certain person and, you know, we make the offer that we're available and, and they're more than welcome to attend. And it's just been kind of a grassroots effort. Yeah, that's really incredible. And I know the United States does play a role abroad in helping, you know, police forces stand up in, in countries that 
don't have access to the resources. So, you know, having them be able to come here and, and learn the, the individuals um, from Guadalajara were telling me about how they would love to have more women in their law enforcement ranks, but it is a struggle and they just don't have the access to learning how to do that type of grassroots recruitment. And so coming here and being able to get that experience is really, it's really incredible. And it, it just represents Wiffle's ability to connect with women in law enforcement all over the country and the world. I wanna talk a little bit about some of the conference um, panels, discussions that have been going on. Can you tell me, Kathy, a little bit about what you have been hearing from attendees are some of the most impactful panel? Um, I think uh, the CBP panel on uh, resume writing and uh, interviewing was uh, extremely well attended. And it was one of the most vibrant uh, classes I'd ever seen in my life, considering when you talk about making resume writing exciting. Um, the other was the SES panel, um, Linda's panel, uh, Linda's discussion uh, on, on Queen's talk, um, with the domestic violence, uh, internal domestic violence, uh, when the uh, violator is the uh, law enforcement officer, was um, striking. And... Uh, <coughs> The probably the one that may have had the most impact on everybody was the FBI presentation on their research and work on uh, female best failures, uh, where uh, it almost one hundred percent death rate if if the best takes a certain type of shot, um, and that took everybody's breath away for a second. Oh my goodness, I can only imagine. And it, you know, thinking about that, um, when I was in the exhibit hall, I was speaking with Fit for Duty Clodaire, who was one of Wiffle's sponsors, and they were talking to me about how they make clothing specifically for women in law enforcement and showing me all the differences and the unique needs that women's you know, they need to be able to carry their belts appropriately, particularly for special agents. And it was just so fascinating, all of the things that I as a layperson don't think about that are really unique to women in law enforcement, which is why it's so critical that Wiffle has these conversations or else agencies that are male dominated, they may never have the conversation and it can be fatal for women um, in law enforcement, really incredible conversations to be having. I was able to attend um, the discussion on sleep deprivation and how um, from Dr. Jean Kanakogi talking about the difficulties that law enforcement have with sleep and how they can rectify those incredible panel um, and the panel on legal issues from Flexi. And they were talking about, you know, what are the updates you need to know about search and seizure law? At one point, they referenced a groundbreaking case from 2018 that changed how we view searches with technology. And they asked, you know, how many people here went to Fletzi before 2018 and didn't know about this case? And half the room raised their hand. And it was really shocking to me because it shows the importance of having that continuing education throughout your career and not just, you know, going to Fletzi and then never talking about it again. Um, and it's really great that Wiffle is providing that information to the people who need it. 
Um, I, I did want to ask Kathy, you have a lot of sponsors and partners who have joined. Can you tell me about um, any of those groups, like, you know, Fit for Duty, Clothair, and, and how they support local members? Well, each sponsor brings uh, their own expertise to the area. You know, uh, our sponsors that are um, law firms uh, specialize in, in different aspects of, of employment law. Um, and provide support to memberships. Um, our sponsors like Blue Cross Blue Shield and uh, Star Right, GIA, um, Feds uh, all provide different types of insurance policies. Uh, the Federal Long Term Care um, provides uh, services that are important throughout your career, both professionally and personally, um, to take care of yourselves. And then we have uh, groups like Thomson Reuters, uh, special services that are is one of our sponsors and sponsors one of our Whiffle Awards. Um, and their support is, is general. They, they want to help us in any way that they can. They believe in our mission. Uh, they believe in creating greater diversity and inclusivity in all um, factors of society. And um, it, it's, I'm leaving so many off, um, but they all have a, um, a desire to uh, help us make law enforcement a better profession. Well, that's great. And it's so great that they're here and continue to support Whiffle. I was in that exhibit hall. There are so many faces that come back year after year because they're really believers in the cause. We do have to stop here for our first break. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Stay tuned for more information about some of the presenters. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. I am here with a roundtable of speakers, Whipple team members, and award winners discussing the Whipple Annual Leadership Training right here in Phoenix, Arizona. One of the things I want to talk to Kathy about is this magical Monday that the Whipple Training has. It's the day before most of the conference attendees come in and you put on some special sessions. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that kind of Monday format and, and what the attendees have experienced? Sure. The uh, Monday classes are designed uh, to be longer in length to uh, address issues that, that take a lot of time and effort um, this year. We chose to go with uh first, second line promotion in which we did um, resume writing and interview panel uh, workshop. And then we split off and also did one for the people interested in the SES position. Um, The graduate school, um, the old USDA graduate school that's been uh, redone, uh, I think purchased by a new uh, organization. Uh, volunteered to take that on, 
and uh, very nicely because um, uh, they had been doing some work with the Senior Executive Service Association and, and we were introduced. And so we started a relationship. And then um, for the uh, other class, I was kind of in a quandary and I reached out to um, Tanisha Cherry in uh, CBP and I said, I, I have this idea. And in fact, our membership asked for this type of class specifically. And she just jumped in it. She said, I've got a great program. We've been working on it. And CBP just stepped up and volunteered to take it. And it was the, actually, it turned out to be the first time that they had done it um, physically. They had been doing it internally to CBP um, employees uh, throughout the uh, COVID uh, virtually. And so this was, they had, it was supposed to be a 40 person class and there were over a hundred people in it. Wow. They on the fly figured out how to, how to do it and let everybody in. And it was one of the most amazing classes I've ever seen. I have never seen people hooping and hollering about resumes mm -hmm. and the uh, mock interviews that they uh, were involved in. Um, at the end, uh, people were, asking CBP, how do we get you to come to our agency and provide training and everything? So I think it turned out to be um, a very um, enlightening um, uh, class. And uh, even though it is quite labor intensive, it takes a lot of instructors. Uh, I think everybody that uh, attended got a lot out of it. Yeah. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, it included both like general kind of talking to everyone on the group and breakout sessions where you guys did kind of individual interview training, prep work, stuff like that. And yeah. And that was, uh, that turned out to be like ad hoc. They, wow. they were so many people interested in uh, getting some more work on interviewing that uh, we were able to break off one of the rooms and people just from the class just signed up with the CPP instructors and they ran them through more interview panel type questions and comments. Wow, that's, that's fascinating. One of the things we've talked about um, and you've mentioned throughout the conference was the importance of adaptability and being able to deal with double the amount of people, create these breakout sessions and really have a full day immersive experience um, that like almost on the fly, that's really incredible. Um, and it's great that not only did people feel like they personally benefit, but they were also, I wanna have this workshop my agency for people who maybe couldn't come to Whipple, but they can really expand that knowledge. That's really great. Um, and that kind of, as I called it a magical Monday, is really a great opportunity for Whipple to do those more immersive experiences. I'm very excited to see what you guys do next year. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I do want to switch gears um, and talk to my guest, Linda Williams, here for a little bit. Linda, you hosted The Woman in Leadership, a candid discussion about the view from the top. Can you tell me a little bit about that panel? I'm just excited to have been here. Um, one, that it has come full circle from where I started in Whipple 35 years ago. So I had the privilege and the honor to uh, moderate a panel 
uh, of esteemed colleagues from various organizations. We have representation from the U.S. House of Representatives, the Office of the Sergeant at Arms, uh, United States Secret Service, United States Park Service, and the Environmental Protective Service. So these were some esteemed, uh, accomplished women that sat on this panel. And what were some of the key takeaways uh, that you think some of the audience really grabbed from this discussion? So we talked about a myriad of subjects, but, you know, from every challenge, from every triumph, from every um, obstacle to, to all the accomplishment, everybody could find themselves in that conversation wherever they were in their law enforcement career. They could relate to those speakers because they were speaking from their hearts. Uh, there was no, you know, it was no big eyes, no little use that everyone was pouring in so that they could build up one another. That's really incredible. Um, I would love to highlight just a couple of moments from the conversation that some of the attendees actually told me about were, were really incredible for them. Uh, you guys talked a lot about the importance of balance between, you know, a parenthood, guardianship, other work-life, you know, balance, the importance of that. Um, the understanding how mobility impacts a career uniquely for women and the, you know, importance of capitalizing on professional development, even when it's not specifically geared toward women and finding the ways that women in agencies can, you know, capitalize on the experiences, make the most out of them. Can you talk to me a little bit about what you heard from the panelists in terms of a lot of these great women that you spoke with were kind of the, the first in their role. And that's something you experienced as well. Um, can you tell me about what it's like to be a first and the kind of pressure that that puts on women and, and what you have to do about that? And I can, because even here in 2022, we still have a lot of firsts. Um, but of course, we learn from each other, iron sharpens iron. But most importantly, uh, work-life balance, because uh, I won't say it on the radio, but, you know, we wear many hats. We are moms, we are wives, we're sisters, we're daughters, we're caretakers. And we even look at, you know, all of this. But when we come to this job, we raise our hand to protect and serve. And so when you are on duty, you are on duty as a federal agent. But it does not you know, negate that you have so many other obligations. So, you know, iron sharpens iron and it takes a community and it takes a great support group. Uh, and you have to depend on that. And sometimes your support comes from a myriad of different uh, means and endeavors. Some of them are personally personal, some are professional, um, but you have to get that help from where you get it from. You know, I gave the testimony of being a single mom the majority of my career. Um, my daughter came out well as a very well-rounded, excellent individual. But it took a lot of people to help. But you know what? When I came to work, I did my job and I did it well. So time management and balance is so important that you have to find your, your flow in all of this. But most importantly, you have to know how to take the oxygen before you give it to others. You were involved um, with WIFL. You've been involved with NOBLE, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives. 
so many different groups for individuals in their agency who feel a little bit isolated. They don't know how to find that support system. Do you have any recommendations um, for how people can find that? We do. We work with all, all federal agencies that they know about us, first of all. And of course, in every training, I mean, in every agency, there's a training budget. And so, again, this is in support of that individual, but it benefits that whole agency. You know, when a person feels part of something, then they commit to it and they give it their all. And so, you know, you know, people talk about infinities or why we talk about this. You know, it's so hard when you want individual against the wilderness. But if you got a group, then you're a bad team going together. So we build each other up. You know, when you're going through something by yourself, it seems like a mountain. But when you share it, it's a molehill. And there's nothing that anybody is experiencing that someone has not already experienced. So it takes that knowledge and that skill set and that guidance to get that individual to continue on and to keep them encouraged. Absolutely. I could not agree more. One of the kind of pivotal conversations that happened during this panel is about the realities of sexism in the workplace. And for law enforcement, there's a problem where, you know, there's a lot of public facing work. There's also a lot of work from your agency. And sometimes women in, in the field can experience that from both their coworkers and the general public. And particularly for women of color, it can be an intersection between sexism, racism, and other issues. Can you speak a little bit to about you know, handling that um, both with your coworkers and with the public? You know, it's, it's challenging to be a female even in 2022 in law enforcement. But when you make a person feel part of something, then, you, of course, they will give it all back to you. Uh, but most important that women have to realize we have a right to be here, that we're qualified to be here. And we need the training and assistance just like our male counterparts. And so, you know, people don't always understand support groups. But when you're one person, like I stated, you, you know, you're facing the whole world. But when you realize that, you know, other people share the same problems, then together you can get through them. And there's an obligation of that agency to make you feel comfortable so you have an environment you can thrive in. I think that is just a great moment to leave off on as we enter the next segment of our show. We're going to continue the conversation with Linda. You know, she is a new board member here at Whipple, and I want to learn a little bit you and your work. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We'll be right back. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford & Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth. One team working all three branches. Judicial, legislative, executive. Judicial. SB&R employment attorneys offer specialized legal representation for federal managers. Legislative. Lobbyists in government and public affairs advocating for corporate clients. Executive. Produces two free weekly newsletters, Fed Manager and Fed Agent. Shaw, Bransford, and Roth is your one destination for all three branches of government. Online at shawbransford.com. SB&R. Client-focused. Results-driven. Welcome back. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. 
We are just entering the second half of our show on the Whipple Leadership Training. And for this segment, I want to kick it off by talking about one of Whipple's newest board members. We've been listening to her talk for the whole last segment about her incredible experiences on the panel. Linda, welcome to the Whipple board. It's so great to have you. Um, And I want to hear a little bit for our listeners who don't know you about your experience working in the Secret Service. You know, it is a dream come true, but to be honest, uh, I was a senior in Middle Tennessee State University and an FBI agent came into the classroom and I said, I'm going to be FBI. Well, that didn't happen. So fast forward, I needed to get some work experience. So while I was a deputy sheriff in Augusta, Georgia, the Secret Service actually had an announcement, a job announcement in the Sunday's paper. And so I applied. Uh, I wanted to always be a federal agent, but the uniform division was hiring. So I took that as an opportunity to get my foot in the door, and I entered to the ranks of the Secret Service in 1988 as a uniformed officer. And I said to myself, if you just let me get the size 10 shoe in the door, then it's history. And as God would have it, I was a uniformed officer for three years before I transitioned as a special agent. Uh, I went through all the rank and file and I was blessed to retire in 2017 as a deputy assistant director. Wow, what an incredible career. Now, you mentioned Middle Tennessee State University. Um, Anyone who reads your bio knows you are a, a faithful alum and now you are a professor there. Tell me a little bit about your experience in academia and what you teach. I am true blue, which is our motto. You know, like so many of my colleagues, they decided to go into corporate security or, or you know, law enforcement. But uh, I'm a believer. I speak in what I, I want to come into existence. So believe it or not, 10 years before I even considered retirement um, from being a spokesperson in the Secret Service, I said, one day I'm going to retire and I'm going to teach at MTSU. And I'm going to be the best professor. I'm going to sit on the desk with my pencil skirt and tell all my students about my life and encourage them and give back to the university. And so as it would have it, uh, in 2017, uh, they created a position which exists in the world of academia, but it was the first position of such at MTSU, and it's called Professor of the Practice. And it's based on my 35 plus years of law uh, law enforcement experience. And everything that I said is true, and God gives me great favor. I have just completed my fifth year. Um, My motto is one of many for academia meets reality. But what's most important that I can give a realistic picture to my students. You know, I teach them thus the textbook, but I bring real life into the to the classroom. I have subject matter uh, experts, which are my colleagues from all walks of law enforcement, to come back to the school and talk to these students so that they know what they want to do and what the real world looks like. You know, they have internet and everything else, but as corny and cliche as it sounds, ask them on the first day of school, what do you want to be when you grow up? And so you have to have a goal. And so my greatest pleasure is to have, you know, come back to the university where it started, but to train and encourage uh, tomorrow's leaders in law enforcement. And by doing so that they can avoid some of the potholes and the craters that I had to. And so I love being Secret Service, but I love, love, love being Professor Williams. 
those students are so lucky. The way that you your face just lights up when you it talk does. about your work as a professor, it's, it's really incredible. I'm going to take a step back in your career for a moment. You served as a national recruiter both in the early 2000s and you came back almost 10 years later in 2013 and served as a, a lead head of your recruitment agency. Um, can you talk to me about how you noticed the approach towards recruitment change in that timeline? Specifically, you know, we talked so much about Whipple about diverse recruiting. How did that change and evolve throughout your career? Experience is a great teacher. I remember a long, long, long time ago when I saw that announcement in the newspaper. You know, that was before computers. I mean, it was like 200 pages of a form said, you know, I had to hire a lady to actually type all of those forms. And she said, little girl, if you actually get in this position, come back and see me. And so I had great pride in doing so. But, you know, lessons learned. Uh, I remember how challenging it was for me. And it was just fate that I happened to look in the newspaper that day. So I took all those experiences and realized that we had to be intentional to, to reach a more diverse workforce. Uh, Even when I started as a national recruiter going throughout the country, speaking from elementary schools to the National Press Club, that I realized it has to be more intentional. Now, as we fast forward, when I have come up in rank and file, um, the director at the time said, Linda, we need you again. And I was like, no, I've already done that. She said, no, we need you again. And, you know, I pulled up my sleeves and went in it again. The lessons learned that I realized that in recruiting, it has to be intentional. It has to be agency-wide. It has to be accountability. So it's still good to have job fairs, but you have to go before that because that's a one-time meet. We know in law enforcement, you have to prepare an individual. You know, and that's where I link in with my students. I tell them the things that they do today, they got to answer to tomorrow. So it was great pride uh, and with technology, uh, by the time I went back, social media was important. Um, but, you know, we realized that it has to be intentional and you have to hold not just the you know, recruiting division, but every, every, every manager out in the field that they are responsible for reaching out and to be purposeful and intentional to go to diverse communities, go to special needs and everything, because, you know, an organization has to be reflective of the community that it serves. Absolutely. Recruitment cannot just be passive. Linda, the Wiffle Board is so lucky to have you. I'm so lucky to have you on today's Bed Talk Show. Thank you so much for joining me. It is my honor to be here. I want to turn now to Tanisha Sherry. Tanisha, you work with Customs and Border Protection, but you also play a key role in helping people prepare for the next stage in their career. Uh, Kathy brilliantly told us earlier about this full day resume and structured interview workshop that you hosted that the energy everyone really got into this topic that you don't really expect to be um you know one of the most captivating but you made it so for for the Whipple attendees can you tell me about what some of the most important resume and interviewing skills applicants need that you highlighted during your workshop well I think that one of the most important things we kind of spoke about all day long was really about mindset, right? And it's really about making sure that you understand 
the type of mindset you have to have in order to be able to tell your story, right? And it's all really about telling your story and being able to highlight you, right? And all the things that you've been able to do and all the things that you want to do and, and really prepare yourself to, to, to get to the next level. And in order to do that, you really have to sell yourself. And I think that a lot of times people in general, especially women, have a real um, issue with really telling their story and highlighting their accomplishments and really selling themselves, right? It's almost like they feel like it's like bragging, right? But the thing about it is like what we want you to do is we want you to know that it's okay to, to sell yourself. It's okay to brag about your accomplishments. But one of the things you have to do is first recognize that it is an accomplishment, right? And so we want you to make sure that you recognize your accomplishments, make sure that you give yourself credit for that, and make sure that you can tell people that and understand that you are you should be your biggest cheerleader. You should be prepared to tell your story. And, and if you can't tell it, then who else can, right? And so really not just about the skill set, but really about the mindset to really know that you have a story to tell, that you are entitled to tell it, and that you deserve to be um, considered for this position. So really, it, it is really it was really about making sure the full day and everything that we taught, no matter whether it was about you know making sure that your resume has certain powerful words in it, making sure that you know uh, whether you decide to. Um, bulletize it or whether you decide to use short paragraphs, make sure that you give yourself credit. And throughout the the resume, uh, you're not constantly saying, well, we or my team or they. And a lot of times we will do that. A lot of times we will not give ourselves credit, you know, as the individual who either led it or developed it or created it or made sure that it was successful, we'll always take the team approach, which is not a problem, except when you are trying to sell yourself and you're trying to tell people about your skills, your knowledge, and your ability. You know, when Kathy is saying that this was the most captivating session, I must be honest, in the back of my head, I'm like, how? Um, But hearing you talk about it, it is not just, oh, I'm, I'm doing, I'm updating my resume. I'm going for an interview. It's I am selling myself for a position. I'm putting myself in the, the, the shoes of what I want to be doing. Of course, it's the most captivating session. When you change it to being about the mindset of an applicant, that was really just uh, already an incredible, I, I see why it was so captivating. Um, for people who have previously worked in the private sector, there is a difference between applying for a federal job and applying for a private sector job, particularly in how you frame your resume. Can you tell me a little bit about some of those differences are that listeners should be aware of if they're federal applicants? Well, I w- well first of all, what I would say is, is you know, one of the things that we really want to make sure of um, the the thing that we really uh, talk to them about is the length of their resume, right? You know, a lot of times people um, believe that they should put every single thing they can possibly think of on their resume. We talked about length. We talked about making sure that it's clear, concise, and complete. We talked about the fact that it should be no more than five pages. I mean, that is that is instrumental because if you submit a 17-page resume, which we've actually seen that before, um, you need to understand that you're going to lose your audience. So we talked about that. We talked about the fact that um, when it comes to submitting your resume for a particular job that you need to understand the qualifications of that job and make sure that you know that one resume 
doesn't fit all, right? It's not a one size fits, fits all. So if you have a particular job that you're interested in and you know you only have a certain amount of space, then use the experience that you've had throughout the years to really highlight that experience that will help you get that job. And then we also kind of talked about the fact that um, what we would really love for you to do, especially if you've been in the agency or in the government for a significant amount of time, we want you to use that experience first in your resume. Obviously, if you have some, some, some something that is like earth shattering that you've done, like, you know, 10 years ago and you want to put that in your resume then or, or 20 years ago or, you know, we want you to highlight that. But we don't want you to say, you know what, when I was 18 years old and I was like a lead cashier at Wendy's, I, you know, I was able to right, I had good customer service skills. Right. We want you to understand that when it comes down to it, the first thing that we would like to see is your federal government experience very specific to that position and then use your private sector experience, you know, after the fact, if you need to, but make sure that it's something that is going to be, you know, um, very specific to the job that you're looking for. Well, and it comes back to the three things you said about being clear, concise, and complete. In order to be concise, you can't tell uh, the story of everything you've done in your entire life. You really need to pick the moments that are most impactful for the job that you're applying for. Now, I do have um, one more question for you, specifically about individuals. I want to talk about two types of people. Mm -hmm. Someone who has known for their whole life they want to be in leadership, and someone who never really thought about being in leadership, how they're halfway there through their career, a position opened and they're like, I kind of want this. How do you think those two different people prepare and build their resume? And what kind of advice would you have for each of those individuals? Um, I would say that, you know what, my approach is always building tomorrow's leaders today, mm -hmm. right? Whether you think that you want to be in leadership or not, you need to prepare yourself for the fact that you may wind up in leadership. And even if it's not a position of actual leadership, there are different um, uh, jobs, different positions that you may have to apply for that may or may not be in leadership, but you, you should always track your accomplishments. You should always um, understand and recognize when there is an accomplishment and that you're actually um, headed in that direction. So you want to track your accomplishments. So when the time comes, you're able to tell your story and you don't have to think back for the last 10 years about what you've done. Keep track of it. And then we always say, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Oh, I love that. And I love the idea, even if you're not in a leadership position or you're you know, in the management position, you can still be a leader. Absolutely. Everything you do is leadership, the way you carry yourself. And Preparing for that, building it, being ready your whole career. I think that's some of the best advice. Um, if someone wanted to learn more, Tisha, about some of the workshops and trainings that you offer, is there a place they can go? Yes, they can actually go to our SharePoint site. Um, and, and really, it is the Employee Engagement and Organizational Culture SharePoint site. Uh, we're with U.S. Customs and Border Protection uh, Office of Field Operations, and we are the EEOC division, which stands for Employee Engagement and Organizational Culture. We store all of our information there. We have several different initiatives that we're working on. And ultimately, when it really boils down to it, our goal in the EEOC is to make sure that we are engaging employees at every level to include management to work together so we can 
make sure that we have the organizational culture that we deserve and that everybody can be proud of. And it really boils down to making sure that everybody understands that they have a voice. And not only do they have a voice, we want to encourage you to use it that you are valued, not only are we telling you that you're valuable, but that you feel like you're valuable and that vision and that you are a part of the vision. And not only are you a part of the vision, but you are responsible for helping us to create the vision. Thank you so much, Janisha. It was great hearing from you about this incredible workshop and this great advice for our listeners. We have to stop here for our final break. When we come back, we're going to be with our Whipple Award winners, U.S. Marshals Sonia Chavez and Homeland Security Investigations Special Agent in Charge, Angie Salazar. You're listening to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. Looking for more ways to stay informed on federal news? Every Tuesday, the Fed Manager Newsletter delivers completely free, straightforward news to the federal community. The Fed Manager Newsletter features top news stories affecting the federal workforce, legislative updates impacting pay and benefits, understandable summaries of court decisions written by leading federal employment attorneys, and columns from across the federal community. Subscribe today at FedManager.com. Brought to you by the law firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Roth, serving the federal community for 40 years. Welcome back to Fed Talk on Federal News Network. We are entering the last segment of our show with our Whipple Foundation Award winners. Let's dive right in. First up on our award winner spotlight, we are going to be talking to Homeland Security Investigations Special Agent in Charge, Angie Salazar. Uh, Special Agent in Charge Salazar received the Outstanding Federal Law Enforcement Employee Award. To kick us off, Kathy, can you tell me a little bit about what this award is? Well, this award honors outstanding employees in the field of law enforcement. And the objective is to recognize individuals who have shown sustained superior performance levels throughout their career and who serve as role models for women in federal law enforcement. And of course, we have our award winner, um, Angie. Angie, please tell me a little bit about yourself, your role at HSI, and the work that went to this award. Uh, sure, thank you for uh, having me. So I've been with Homeland Security Investigations for 19 years. I started in San Ysidro, California. Much of the work I've done is victim-centric. Uh, so when I was uh, asked to head to Fort McCoy, Wisconsin to lead the team that was going to receive the 13,000 Afghan evacuees, it, um, it resonated well with me. Uh, we probably one of the toughest jobs I've ever had. In fact, in, in law enforcement, we often lean on our colleagues and that's how I was nominated. I'd, um, in the evenings call some of my colleagues and really vent and share some of the tough things we were seeing, um, on the ground. The, I would say one of the toughest, um, events we had was we had a little eight-year-old boy whose dad had put him on the plane and wasn't, wasn't able to get on with him. So um, those are the kinds of things we were seeing on a daily basis, brought him in to take care of him for the day. Meanwhile, we were able to put him in the foster system um, and we handed him a coloring book with crayons and he drew the American flag. So moments like that just really... Um, way on you, but leaning on, on folks, telling them the story, and eventually they nominated, nominated me for this award. 13,000 refugees. For most of these people, this is the absolute hardest moment of their life. And not only did you have to, you know, help people through that, but, but you also had to 
set up uh, almost like a refugee city that unlike anything that, uh, that we've seen in recent history, it was really just an incredible feat. It is absolutely worthy of the award for outstanding law enforcement employee. It's also very different than what you think about in a traditional law enforcement role. Um, you know, it really shows going above and beyond um, in a unique way compared to what most law enforcement experience on the job. Can you tell me about what receiving this award means to you? It's, as law enforcement, right, it's not often that you uh, that your accomplishments, like some of the panel members have shared, are uh, recognized. So um, the recognition for some of the work you do, uh, we, we go into this job to uh, protect and serve, and we, we're there day in and day out, and really don't take the time sometimes to reflect on what you've overcome and what you've accomplished. So for me, it was a representation of the accomplishments, of course, not just by me, but by the entire team and um, gave me a moment to reflect on, on you know, those several months of, of intense uh, work that really unlike anything that, that's part of our mission. Yeah. One of the individuals who won the top prosecutor award spoke a bit about how for prosecutors, you know, you win a case, you lose a case, you get an answer. But for so much of law enforcement work, you don't get that solid answer of the what happens, what's the result. Um, and so I really appreciate that the award ceremony for Whipple allows to, us to take a moment and really recognize the accomplishments uh, of what, you know, great outstanding law enforcement employees like you are, are able to do and, and the work and the, you know, the stress that you guys go under, but, but you push through. And, and you have these really great successes when we see like a successful refugee resettlement. Um, what are some of your strategies for success? How did you, you talked about having a support system. What are some of the other things that during these really intense operations help lead you to success? Many of the award recipients talked about their families. And I, I do think my strategies for success stem from my parents and those simple things that they, you know, absolutely demanded from us, right? Be humble, treat people, treat everyone the way you'd like to be treated. Um, so I've, I've stood by that, not only as a working agent, but as I've uh, transitioned into different leadership and supervisory roles to really just think of others and try to be empathetic and sympathetic when making those workforce decisions on how will the workforce feel. Um, and also work-life balance, investing 100% of, of, of me when I'm at work and doing the same at home, I think is what has helped me be successful. And listening to folks, right? Never feeling like you know everything and leaning on experts uh, from all over law enforcement and private public sector to really make sure that we're not making decisions in the silo and listening to experts from all over to try and arrive at the best solution. <clears throat> Wow, absolutely. And that's such a theme we've heard just throughout this podcast episode, let alone throughout the entire conference. Um, those are really some of the key points that we've been hearing. Uh, for my last question for you, can you tell me some of the advice you have for employees at different stages in their career, particularly who, um, you know, maybe doing similar work to you, to your other women at HSI? What are some of the things that advice that you would have for them? The same as pretty much right. what has helped me be successful is to reach out when you need help. Um, don't be shy about 
sharing your emotions or the stress of the job and leaning on, on folks for advice on how to deal with that. Uh, and as far as promoting or looking to rise through the ranks, really not second guessing yourself and having the confidence to apply for those jobs like uh, Tanisha shared, right? Sell yourself, be confident in what you've done. And when you need help, ask for it. Special agent in charge from Homeland Security Investigations, Angie Salazar, our outstanding federal law enforcement employee. Congratulations on your award. Thank you. Thank you very much. Now I'm going to turn to another one of our award winners. We have U.S. Marshal Sonia Chavez. Sonia, you were one of you were the first female U.S. Marshal in the state of New Mexico, and you received the Whipple Foundation Residence. Award. Before we start talking to Sonia, Kathy, can you tell me a little bit uh, about this award? Well, yeah, this award is our highest honorary award given by WIFL, and it recognizes an individual for outstanding achievement in government service. And this award is presented by the Board of Directors of the WIFL Foundation. Thank you so much, Kathy. And, and we have here Sonia, our award winner. Please tell me about yourself and your role as U.S. Marshal. Um, I'm happy to be here, and I, I just feel so honored. Um, I, I live in a small town in New Mexico, and um, I was not one of those who planned for a law enforcement career. Um, I, I've worked with many people, as I know we all have over the years, who knew at a very young age they wanted to be, you know, a deputy U.S. Marshal or an FBI agent, and I was not one of those. <clears throat> I come from a very conservative family. My dad would never have let me be a police officer because I asked him and he said no. I grew up in a house full of brothers, um, but like many had an incredible support system through my family. Um, I pursued a career in journalism for about 10 years and um, uh, started taking golf lessons and met an, an old retired, I say old, but retired FBI agent on the golf course. And that's how I got recruited into law enforcement. Um, little did I know at that time that, you know, 20, 26 years later, I would be um, sitting in this chair talking about what I have described as the biggest honor of my career being appointed as the U.S. Marshal. So we don't plan a lot of things in our lives, right? But one thing that I've learned is just to try to be prepared um, and that comes from, you know, again, relying on other people, um, seeking out guidance and advice and support. Um, and I've been fortunate to have been surrounded by people who have done that for me throughout my entire career at all segments of my career, my different jobs, um, different times in my life. Um, so I, I'm really grateful for that. And um, that has really, really, I think, catapulted me into this unique situation um, as the U.S. Marshal in New Mexico. It's been, it's been the greatest honor. And last night at the awards ceremony, when you were accepting your award, you talked about how in your you know, U.S. Marshal office, um, there are women in leadership positions across the, the office, and it's because they are the absolute most qualified people. But in a lot of instances, it, it's a group of women leading a group of men. Can you tell me about that dynamic um, and how you really helped cultivate that feeling of, of gender equality? 
Yes. And, you know, I think that it was just natural for me to look for ways to make sure we had more women. When I got to the District of New Mexico, we had one lady deputy in the entire district. And um, I worked really, really hard. And it wasn't just me, a whole team of us, just to try to increase numbers um, of, of women deputies in the marshal service. And so, you know, in four and a half years, we, we increased that. So there, there are five of them now. Um, and, you know, two of them have promoted and, and they are incredible leaders. They're both mothers. And, and I say that because being a mother uh, really prepares us for everything. And we joke about it. Um, I remember being back on my FBI agent squad in Chicago. I was the first woman to be on that, you know, gang squad. And I was the only woman for a long time. And I was working with incredible people, incredibly smart, um, supportive men, agents and police officers. And I remember, um, you know, taking time off when I had my first child, my daughter, and coming back to work. And they were such a cultivating, um, supportive team of me. We really were brothers and sisters, and I'm still in touch with all of them. But I remember coming back and sitting in the pod area with them. And, you know, I just love them. And I know they love me, but I was thinking to myself, I just did something that they can't do. I just had a baby. And it it just reminded me that we, we have something so special as women. And it's not about separating ourselves from the men. It's about just really, really capitalizing on the incredible dimension that we bring. And we don't have to change. We just, we just be ourselves. And so I think that I had to really learn how to be comfortable with that at a very early stage in my career, um, not expecting to be so singled out as the only, as the only woman. Uh, our Whiffle President Award winner, U.S. Marshal Sonia Chavez, are, for, to close out our show, can you just give me some advice that you would have women in federal law enforcement? Uh, You've heard this a lot. It's been a recurring thing, but it's it's so important for us to find mentors. And one of the things I talk about when it comes to seeking mentors is to formalize it. You know, not just say, oh yeah, she's my mentor, but to go to that person and say, will you be my mentor? And this this is what I want. I want to talk with you at least once a week to formalize that. And the other part of that is to remind yourself that as you move forward in your career, and you're pulling and feeding off of all these wonderful people to remember that the time comes where you have to turn around and offer that to others and and always mentor others uh, and bring other people up. Uh, That to me is the biggest gift that we have is to be able to um, learn from others and share with others and make sure that we are um, supporting those who are coming along uh, behind us. That's an absolutely wonderful thing, and I think you could not be more on the nose, and that really has been just a sentiment and a theme through this entire wonderful, incredible Ripple Annual Leadership Training. That's all the time we have for our show today. I want to thank Kathy, Linda, Tanisha, Sonia, and Angie for joining me today, and all of you for listening to Fed Talk. Fed Talk is brought to you by the Federal Employment Law Firm of Shaw, Bransford, and Rock. Catch us next year for the 23rd annual Whipple Leadership Training in Tampa, Florida. Until then, have a great weekend.